Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Can you imagine his heart sunk? Because when he left, The people had cut covenant. They were rejoicing only to come back to find those same people that signed the covenant are the same people that are breaking the same covenant. Chapter 13 is the account of what takes place when Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem. Interesting. They make, watch this. They make four promises, vows, or they cut covenant four times In chapter 10, it's also very interesting. Our outline has four points. They break those same four vows or covenants or promises in chapter 13. Notice in verse four in your Bibles, go ahead and look at it. It says before this. Before this means before Nehemiah returned, Eliashib the priest who we met in chapter three, was in charge of the temple. Before Nehemiah came back, Eliashib allowed Tobiah the Ammonite to move in. So not only were they not to be part of the fellowship of Israel, but Eliashib allows a guy to rent a room in the temple. Verse five tells us Eliashib cleaned out one of the storerooms. Are you looking at verse five? Cleaned out one of the storerooms where you would keep the tithe, the frankincense, the grain, and all the stuff, and he let Tobiah rent the room right there in the temple. So Nehemiah gets back. He sees what's going on. He goes, what in the world is going on? Now remember, when Nehemiah first came to Jerusalem to assess the situation, to assess the damage, His heart was broken because the walls were torn down and the gates were burned and the people were exposed to the enemy. And now he comes back and obviously the spiritual walls of the people are now down. The first time he came back, the physical walls were down. You getting that? Now he comes back and the spiritual walls have come down. And Nehemiah, as you read this chapter, Nehemiah is passionate about church. I love Nehemiah. He's a great leader. He's a great man of God. And he's passionate about church. Nehemiah is passionate about the things of God and particularly the house of God. Notice in verse 8, it tells us he wept. It grieved him bitterly, it says. Uh, Fast forward to verse 10. He says, I realized Those are the eyes of a leader. I realized a leader, someone that's called by God, someone who cares about the things of God, 
is looking, paying attention, focused on what God has called them to do, focused on the ministry. Nehemiah said, I realized, I I wept bitterly, it grieved me bitterly. Verse 11 says, I contended. Verse 17 says, I contended. Nehemiah is serious about the temple of God, and so should we be. And honestly, you've heard me say it a thousand times. Honestly, I, I really, my heart grieves for the church. Today, I think the church is in serious trouble. I really do. I think the church is in grave danger. I think there is a, 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 a lack of reverence in the church. I think there is a lack of um, respect. There's a lack of respect in the house of God. There's a lack of reverence for a whole. There's a, there's a lack of fear for God in the church. I'm not talking about in Calvary Chapel. I'm talking about in the universal church. There's a lack of a fear of God. If you know what I'm talking about, raise your right hand. You know, it's just a lack of fear in the church. We don't fear God anymore. We don't fear anything. And be, oh, I ain't afraid of nothing. Well, you should be afraid of something. How about be how about fearful of God? Not like, oh, God's going to get me. I'm afraid of God. Not like that. But in a sense of reverence and holiness and understanding that, that God is gracious and merciful, and God is a judging God. Well, God doesn't judge anybody. Yes, he does. Who told you that? <laughs> Judgment and love go hand in hand. It's true. That's not a sermon. We can't go there. But there's a lack of reverence for the house of God. You know, many things that we do here at Calvary Chapel, I do because I'm seeking to and we talk to leadership and the staff pastors because we're seeking to have an environment where God is reverenced, where, it, it, where this sanctuary is a holy place for God. And we reverence the things of God. I remember some time ago, I was on vacation. I was in, in, in Western Florida, and I went to a church, and, and they honestly were eating donuts and like Danish and drinking, I think I told you that they were eating donuts. I was so shocked. I was scarred for life by this. They were eating Danish and donuts and coffee and stuff while the preacher was preaching or while worship was going on. So people are worshiping God and, you know, singing and praising God and clapping their hands. And somebody going, mm, mm, mm. Huh? While the preacher's preaching, they're like snacking on a donut. To me, there's some, something wrong with that. You do that in your kitchen with a CD player. You don't do it in the house of God. Oh, can this half of the room say amen? I didn't hear y'all. This is alarming. It just, it just speaks of the fact that there's a lack of reverence and holy when God's word is being spoken you need to be sitting up sitting on the edge of your seat with your neck stretched out God what do you have to say to me because I guarantee you when that word is spoken that is just that right word that you need for your situation you're gonna bite into that donut right at that right time 
And that Krispy Kreme gonna be so good, gonna take you right away from the Word of God. I'm just trying to help you. You know what I'm saying? Just when that right word is right, Satan knows how to get. He got many tricks in his little bag. And we need to reverence God. We need to keep the things of God holy and, and honor God and respect God without, you know, getting religious and, you know, censorious and, you know, judgmental and, and pharisaical about it. You don't have to go there. But Nehemiah reverenced the house of God. When he came back to Jerusalem and saw Tobiah had moved into the temple. And not only that, but the place, did y'all get that? Where the grain and the frankincense and the oil and the things of God was kept. That stuff was put in the hallway so that Nehemiah could move into that room. What'd I say? You know what I mean. better listen close. Keep up, keep up, keep up. (laughs) That was a test. This is a test. (laughs) Am I I right about it? It's it's not right. It's not right. Notice in verse 7 in your Bibles, Nehemiah says, I came to Jerusalem and discovered, I love that. Nehemiah called this little move-in evil. He called it evil. Tobiah renting a room in the house of God was evil. Moving into the temple is evil. Nehemiah calls it evil and it's disrespectful to God's house. Saints, we got to be careful what we allow in God's house. We got to be careful what we um, allow into, into the presence of God. Things can look so innocent and we can make allowances for it. But we need to be careful that we aren't lowering our standards. You see? And you don't lower your standards. Think about this. You don't lower your standards all at once. It happens increment by increment, little bit by little bit, your standards lower. We need to be careful because we could be handling, uh, handing something down to the next generation that God expressly says no to. Got to be careful not to let Tobiah have a room in the temple of God. Now watch this. The Bible says you are the temple of the living God. And think about that. It was someone in the house of God that was spiritual to negotiate the place that Tobiah was going to be. Eliashib. He was a leader in the house of God. He's the one negotiating the deal. We got to be careful not to allow Tobias in our hearts. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself negotiating with the flesh because that's exactly what they're doing. If you've been with us in Nehemiah, don't go sleep on me. Listen, if you've been with us in Nehemiah, you know, Sambalot, Tobiah and Gershom, they are enemies of Israel. And somehow Tobiah weasel his way into the people of God. And now he's living among the people of God. And now what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, is the people of God negotiating with the flesh. And when you negotiate with the flesh, listen, you lose in slow increments. It's very true. Let's at this little story. I read it before. Perfect right here. Paul Harvey tells the story of how an Eskimo kills a wolf. 
First, the Eskimo coats his knife blade with animal blood and allows it to freeze. And then he has another layer of blood and another layer until the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. Next, the hunter fixes the knife in the ground with the blade up. So when a wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he licks it, tasting the fresh frozen blood. He begins to lick faster and more and more vigorously, lapping the blood until the keen edge is bare. Well, feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night. So great becomes his craving for blood that the wolf does not notice the razor-sharp sting of the naked blade on his own tongue. Nor does he recognize the instant at which his insatiable thirst is being satisfied now by his own warm blood. And his carnivorous appetite just craves more until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. If you seek to do battle with the flesh, or you seek to negotiate with the flesh, you will lose increment by increment, slowly, just like that wolf. He was slowly dying and didn't even realize it. And so you will. You've got to put away the deeds of the flesh. The Bible says to mortify. That's why the Bible says put them away. Don't, don't, go, don't, you don't need recovery, uh, Kevin. And then, yeah. <laughs> I heard you last week. Great sermon. I, I was in my office. A great sermon. Great sermon. And I heard the part where you said, I couldn't believe he didn't believe in the 12 steps. <laughs> You left my office. I can't believe he doesn't believe in the 12 steps. What's wrong with him? I don't believe in the 12 steps. I believe in one step. Take one step toward Jesus and God will heal you. Somebody clap your hands and say amen. Will you do that? The Bible says that we are to mortify the deeds of the flesh, not reform them. Mortify the deeds of the flesh, not put them in recovery. Mortify the deeds of the flesh, not negotiate with it. Well, you know, if I do a little bit of this and I stop doing that, but I do a little bit of this and, you know, well, it'll be okay. And just a little bit, a little dab of do you, it's not going to really hurt. And, you know, yes, it will. Yes, it will. You can't allow Tobiah to live in your house because after a while, one room won't do. He'll want the whole house. Something else happened when Tobiah is allowed to live in your house. He takes up a place that's supposed to be filled with the treasures of God. You're taking up a space that God wants to have in your life. It takes up a space that Jesus paid for with his blood. It takes up a space that Jesus has purchased. Be careful not to allow some fleshly thing to occupy a place that God wants to fill with his stuff. Frankincense and blessings and joy and peace and grain and wine and oil. And oil in the scripture represents what? Holy Spirit. You see? And that doesn't mean when you get saved that you cut off unsaved, all unsaved family and friends. The point is those people shouldn't be in the temple. That means you can't have fellowship with your unsaved friends. When you get saved, your relationship with your unsaved friends changes. 
And it goes from now, these are your boys or these are your homies or these are the guys you hang around with to now those guys are a mission field. Are you listening? Now they're down there. Now they're a place to evangelize. You can't allow them in the temple. Are y'all getting that analogy? You can't allow them in the temple. Because if you hang out with your unsaved friends, the only way for you to have fellowship and friendship with them and hang around them is if you fellowship around your past and their present. The only, I'm going to say that again because some of y'all missed that. The only way for you to fellowship and have friendship with your old life before, your, before you got saved is you will have to fellowship and have friendship around your past and around their present. In other words, man, you remember we used to get together and we used to do this and we used to do that. And man, we were like this and we did this and we did that. And, and, and for them, it's, you know, they're still currently doing this and currently doing that. For you, it was the past. And Paul says in Romans 6, 21, what fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? Christians, we got to be careful not to be looking at the past going, yeah, I was like this in the past. Man, I was like that in the past. and Man, I was really a thug in the past. Man, I sold drugs in the past. I was good at it. (laughs) Got to be careful about that. Looking at the past of what you used to be. The only thing that you need to glean from and take from what you used to be is that that's what I used to be, and now this is what God has made me, and look what the Lord has done in my life now. You understand? What fellowship you had. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 3.21, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. When you're around your past, all you'll talk about is the past and the things you used to be. You need to get rid of those Tobias and find new fellowship. Look at verse 8. Nehemiah said, it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Now, I tell you what, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall in this story this is the greatest story. Nehemiah comes back. Everything is out in the hallway. Tobiah's stuff is in the room. And, and Nehemiah comes back and he looks and he goes, what in the world is going on? Nehemiah walks in the room and he begins to throw Tobiah's stuff out of the room. So, I mean, think about it. If you're standing in the hallway and all you see a flat screen come flying out the room and, and, you know, shoes and Xbox and clothes, underwear flying out the room. And Nehemiah throws all his stuff out on the front porch. I told you I love Nehemiah. In verse 9, notice Nehemiah said, did we read verse 9 already? Yeah, we did. Nehemiah said, I, I want you to fumigate the place. <laughs> Write that in your margins. I want you to fumigate. It stinks. And then they filled his room with the stuff that's supposed to be there. Nehemiah cleaned house. And you know, I'm sure there's some things in our hearts it wouldn't hurt to heave out. Once Tobiah and all his stuff was gone, then they brought back in the things of God, grain and frankincense and the worldly stuff. And Jesus can't coexist. There's not enough room in your heart for both. The support promise, point number three, in verse 10 through 13. Look look at verse 10. I also realized in verse 
10 that the portions for the Levites had not been given them for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. And so I contended with the rulers and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their place. And then all Judah bought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse, that guy, the priest and Zadok, the scribe and of the Levites, that guy. And next to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Metaniah, for they were considered faithful. And their task was to distribute to the brethren. The support promise. Now again, go back to chapter 10, verse 34, and they swore to bring in the tithe into the storehouse. The tithe was to take care of the house and the priest. So as they worked in the temple, they didn't have to worry about the bills. Nehemiah realized that the Levites and the worship leaders were out in the field working because their portions were not being given to them. Here we have another broken promise. They started with great intentions, but they had broken them. Verse 11 says, Then I contended with the rulers and said, What's up? Why is the house of God forsaken? The word contend, you find it in verse 11 and the verse 17. The word contend means to strive with a loud voice. To strive with a loud voice. Now, I know the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. But I'm just telling you what Nehemiah did. He wasn't in the soft answers in this chapter. I think you're getting that. Sometimes it's very spiritual to yell. Hallelujah. Amen. Nehemiah sets up a system so they can begin to put God first in the finances. Look at verse 13. He appointed a bunch of guys over the administration because they were considered, what saints? Faithful. Verse 14, he breaks in the prayer. Remember me, O God, concerning this. Nehemiah has to be one of my favorite for real Bible characters. You get the scene here? He's yelling at people, throwing stuff out the window. He says, clean the place, it stinks. Yelling at the administration, what's your problem? Taking money from the priest and making them go to work in the field. What's wrong with you people? And then he says, remember me, oh God. I like that. Off with the heads. Remember me, oh God. Praise the Lord. Fourth promise. Broken. The Sabbath promises in verses 15 through 22. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the, what they say? Sabbath and bringing in sheaves, bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them, are y'all getting this, on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And then I contended with the, remember, loud voice, with the nobles of Judah. And I said to them, what evil thing is this that you do? Nehemiah is just going around, just taking, just, what is wrong with you people? What's going on here? What's going on there? Look at the evil Tobias and the house of God. And what is this evil stuff 
selling things and profaning the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on this city because you didn't honor the Sabbath? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And so it was as the gates of Jerusalem and it began as it began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut. And I charged that they must be open till after must not be open till after the Sabbath. And then I posted some of my servants at the gate so that no burdens would be bought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice, then it implies on the Sabbath. And then I warned them and I said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do this again, I'm going to lay hands on you. (laughs) It's in the word. I'm not making it up. Do it again. Love it. I told you I'm going to love this chapter. Do it again. I'm going to lay hands on you. Do it again. I'm going to lay hands on you. And it ain't going to be for healing. Not going to be for anointing. Not going to be a call to ministry. Do it again. From that day on, they came no more on the Sabbath. <laughs> now, here's another broken promise. Again, I'm just trying to make the correlation for you. So I'm doing all this homework for you. You don't have to do anything, but just go look it up. Chapter 10, verse 31. They promised not to buy from the merchants around uh, the area on the Sabbath. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.